everyone, and thank you for joining me. I'm Tracy Harris, and this is At Home in My Head, the podcast that explores life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. In part one of my discussion with Jen Peoples and Phil Session last week, we discussed the importance of voting in the 2020 elections, both presidential and down ballot. We also talked about the need for social support and a message of hope from AOC, the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the implications of a new nominee, the New York Times 1619 U.S. History Project, and systemic racism generally. This week, we're discussing the death of Breonna Taylor and other racially charged incidents that have fueled the BLM movement and protests. Phil, you had brought up Breonna Taylor, and Breonna Taylor was on my list of current events that were worth some time. So let's go ahead and talk about that. You, you can go ahead uh, if you have an you know, intro for it. Yeah, go for it. Um, I don't actually have an intro, but it's interesting to me. Uh, there's, there's two aspects of all of these situations that matter, right? So you have a situation where either you have laws on the books that reflect justice, and then you have an obligation to enact justice, or you lack legal support and a legal framework to allow justice to be enforced, in which case it, then you have a legislative problem. And we see this sometimes in SCOTUS, where they'll send something back to Congress and say, this is a problem we cannot find in the way we need to find in order to make this right, because the way the law is written does not allow us to make it right. So you need to fix the law so that we can fix this situation. And when it comes to Breonna Taylor, I actually am not legally minded enough to make that call. So I don't actually know where the fall down is happening, whether it's happening from a legislative context and they don't have the proper laws that that would stop the cops from killing a person who's not involved and who is just, you know, either I, I've heard a couple different things that she was in a hallway, that she was in bed. But whatever the situation, she was unarmed. She was either a conscious or unconscious bystander, not not doing anything, not threatening anybody. And she gets killed as collateral damage, basically. And there is nothing illegal about that. There is no, not considered to be any problem there. And I remember when they used to do police chases in cars and they stopped that policy and they started implementing a policy where they said, look, when you're chasing these people in high-speed chases in traffic, you're causing more damage than it's worth to catch the guy in the car. Like, just get a license plate, get a description, we'll figure it out. Radio it ahead and let somebody else catch them down the road. Do something, but do not engage in like high-speed chases where you're putting other citizens and people that are just bystanders at risk. Because it's not worth it to just catch car thief or whatever, or somebody with a dime bag in their car. The idea that whatever happens, even if it's initiated wrongfully, which I'm not sure that was the case here, but even if it were, the police response can't just be like wanton firing at whatever's moving and just killing people that are on the sidelines. It wasn't like a situation where someone grabbed a human shield and oh my gosh, they got in the way of the bullets, right? It's like, this is not that. To say that no mistake was made or that the only mistakes were made resulted in damaged property, but that the life of this woman being taken in a way that's not justified is not some sort of violation was really weird. And I did hear that she is not cited in any of these indictments, that all of these indictments deal with property damage or the way that the cops behave, but there's nothing that encompasses her death. That to me is a problem. So the, the, yeah, the, the one cop that was charged, he yes, was, was charged for firing 
his weapon such that bullets entered the apartment adjacent to that one and right. caused a risk to the people that lived in adjacent apartments. I did see one tweet that I really liked where somebody said, we asked for justice for Breonna Taylor not for justice for Brianna Taylor's neighbor's wall. And, and to, that's... to be clear, I mean, there was a risk to human life for firing into these apartments. People were sleeping in there. There were children in at least one of the apartments. And, and basically, this is the same kind of charge as if I went outside in my yard and I started firing a gun up in the air. And if I didn't hit anyone, that's the kind of charge I would get. It's weird, though, because it's like, imagine you did hit somebody and kill them, and yeah. they still just charge you with firing your gun up in the air, and they said, well, the fact you hit somebody is not, yeah. that doesn't really make it any worse. That's the part I don't get, right? Like you, you fired your weapon in a way that was unsafe and that's the problem. But the fact that somebody died doesn't somehow make that worse. That's like a non-factor. That's the thing that I don't get. There's there's a lot about this case. Yeah, the uh, it was uh, Brett Hackinson that was charged three counts of wanton endangerment for shooting into the adjacent homes during this raid, putting those people at risk, which is definitely true because bullets can go through walls, it can accidentally hit someone, and. There's so much to say here and there's so much there's so much anger out there and there's a lot of there's a lot of people in news outlets and whatever what have you that are not understanding that anger is the way that I'll put it. When this kind of thing happens and someone is laying asleep in their bed and a raid that came in and allegedly a no-knock raid to where you don't know who is entering your house. You have multiple people that are moving around, making noise inside of your house. I wouldn't know what to think. I would have no idea about what to think, but for Brianna Taylor, someone that uh, was allegedly just you know sleeping, just sleeping, or you know whatever that circumstance might be, to be caught up and killed in this incident as a completely innocent person for this entire affair, and then there's all this buildup up to the grand jury. There's this huge buildup that's going into it, and what you get as, as a result of that is nothing regarding her death, nothing regarding busting into this place disturbing their peace you know with uh, no knocks or however it happened nothing along those lines nothing addressing the core issue that this family is not going to be able to see Brianna at the next Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas that what you charge this person with was shooting into the other buildings the other places around this house how do you expect people to feel how do you expect them to react do you expect for them to be quiet and respectful and to write their senators and other legislators. What reaction were you expecting when you see this case of someone sleeping in their own home and being gunned down with apparently no justice in sight? You know, you, the case of Botham Jean that was in his own apartment when Amber of the uh, Dallas Police Department, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, she was on the force for maybe five years, if I'm not mistaken, went into the wrong unit while this he was on his couch right. eating his ice cream, watching his television. And for someone to walk into your 
about to your place, get upset with you, and then proceed to shoot and kill you right there on your couch. What do you expect people to look at that situation and say? How are African Americans supposed to feel about that type of situation? What are you expecting on this side? Because I see a lot on Facebook, you know, people, you know, they're coming from it from different angles and, you know, kind of what Tracy was saying, like maybe there isn't a law that was there, but I'm going to need you to dig deep and to get into the mindset of what Brianna represented and all of the countless people that have been gunned down, unarmed folks that have been gunned down around Tamir Rice just sticks out of my mind, a 12 year old playing with a toy gun. It's like, how many toy guns are out there? Like how, how many are out there in circulations? Water guns and, you know, things that have the little orange tip on the end so that you know that it's not a real gun. And yet this young boy who was playing in a park got the police called on him. They showed up, opened the door and opened fire. And this 12 year old was dead in the park. I understand that people come from different different thought patterns, that they have different upbringings, they have different circumstances around how they view the world. Understand that? Got it. But I'm gonna need, if you are confused as to why the anger is there and that it boils up a time and time again, like there's protests going on probably right now for Breonna Taylor. And you have people still that are like, I don't understand it. That's not the way to do this. And it's like, well, how the hell are they supposed to feel when they see this person that got gunned down in their place? What are they supposed to do? Because what that says is what hope do I have? If I get gunned down, I'm in my apartment now. I just got here about a month ago or something like that. If somebody breaks down my door and I'm sitting here and I get gunned down, what is going to be what they put in the news? How are they going to look at me to say, well, oh, well, you know, obviously he should, he should have complied. You know, obviously he should have done this. And oh, well, let's take a look. Let's take a look at the history. Oh, well, you know, he got this, this, this going on. What? Nope. See, that's his, he was doing X, Y, Z. And therefore his life is not worth missing and being upset over it. It was something that was not worth your anger or ire because they had a history. You know, that came out with George Floyd so much that, you know, there, you know, he did X, Y, and Z there. You know, why are you getting upset about this? And it's just like, I can see myself in these situations, being asleep in the bed. Everybody can, you can see yourself in that situation, being on my couch, eating some fucking food while I'm watching my TV and somebody opens my door because I forgot to lock it or whatever else. That's happened before. I've forgotten to lock my door every so often when I come in or maybe I have to use the restroom or I just need to put all my stuff down. I got too much in my hands and I forget to go to the door to lock it back. And someone comes to the door, mistakes my place of all of my things for theirs for some reason and kills me on my fucking couch. What hope do I have as to how I'm going to be portrayed in the media and the sympathies that are going to look at me and what Fox News is going to say about that? Well, you know, look at him and, you know, he shouldn't have been there. You know, they, he should have explained what the situation, he should have done better so that he wouldn't be dead. That's what it all boils down. He should have done X, Y, Z action so that they would still be alive is what it all boils down to. And that's what you hear time and time again. And so talking for a minute, so let me, I'll conclude with this. Take some time to look at the people around you that are in your circle. If you're fortunate enough to have somebody and you cannot wrap your head around the anger 
that's there and the posts that are being made left and right on social media. And you just, you don't understand this. It gets under your skin. You need to take a moment and try to understand where other people are coming from because you see it time and time again. When these stories come out, it's just like, well, who did it this time? And when it happens, it's like, well, are they going to arrest anybody? It's a question that automatically pops up. Are they going to arrest anybody? And they got, if they arrest, are they even going to get charged? It's another question. And say if they do get charged, the next question that comes up, are they actually going to get convicted? And even in Amber's, uh, Amber Geiger's case with Botham Jean, it was like, oh, she got convicted. Oh, my goodness. That's such a, that's a surprise. It's a surprise right. when it actually happens. And what if they sentenced her to, it was 10 years, but she's eligible to get out earlier for good behavior. And so potentially, when everything is said and done, it could be three to five years before she's out if she's on good behavior or she knows somebody or she knows somebody that knows somebody that's in a position of power that can have an influence over her situation. And being in the police department, you may have that connection that's sitting out there. But Botham Jean sure doesn't have that connection because he's no longer living to have any connections on that side. He doesn't have that. And so that's what you see. So please take some time to understand where that anger might be coming from. You might not understand it. You might not get it. Even after it's explained to you, I got you. But if you're not making that effort, uh, I'm not sure what to say about where you're coming from and the way you're looking at this, especially if you consider you know, this person in your circle to be somebody that you care about, that you love. There is effort that you actually have to expend because this country does not focus on that. We were just talking about that you know, earlier on. It's not something that's focused on. The ignorance in this country is huge concerning all of the legacies that are still having an effect on current generations now. There's so much that's still there that we're still having to fight against. And you say that, oh, well, it's nothing on the books that says that that doesn't stop these situations from happening. All the questions I've talked about, whether they're going to be charged, are they actually going to be arrested? Is the grand jury actually going to indict them? Are they actually going to get convicted? Those questions are still there. And every time it happens, they come up one after another. It's like, well, when is it going to happen? Is it actually going to happen this time? And when it does, it's a damn surprise. Let me go ahead and step off. Well, I got a moment. <laughs> Just to reinforce your point that people may need to take a minute to understand where the anger is coming from. I watched a video today that's about, I think it's about 19 minutes long, and it starts, it has police video, police camera, and also body camera video, and the video of the mother of the person who's pulled over. And some of those run side by side. So you have a lot of context for this whole situation. So what happened was a police officer witnessed a car roll through a stop sign, um, making a right turn, turn did not stop. So she lights him up and follows him. She was expecting him to pull over on the right side of the road. His house was right there on the left. So he pulled up right in front of his family's driveway. He gets out of his car. So she pulls up and she's already kind of upset because he pulled over on the wrong side of the road and then he got out of his car, but he's home. So his parents come out and his mom is like agitated. The guy's black, he's 19 years old, and his mother says, okay, get your license and your insurance and your registration, you know, hand that over. So mm -hmm. they hand that over to the officer. And I can't remember if she even had to ask for it. She just 
They just hand it over. So she takes a look at the paperwork. She looks up and says, okay, the reason I pulled you over is because you ran a stop sign. And he's like, okay. And the mother is starting to get agitated because the cop is sitting there in a semi-threatening position. And it's not clear whether she has her hand on her gun, but it's very close. It's like in the vicinity there on her hip. And the mother's like, you're standing here with your hand on your gun talking to my son. She's like, my son is not going to be a hashtag today. This is not happening. So the mom is really agitated. And the cop is like, just calm down. It's just a traffic stop. No big deal. And I'm sitting here thinking, you don't understand. You do not understand the context of this just a traffic stop here. How many black men have been killed just for a traffic stop? So anyway, the, the kid is like, okay. And the mother's like, go ahead, write in the ticket. And so instead of just getting in the you know, in her cruiser, running the tag and writing the ticket, she decides to ask the young man, um, are you on probation or parole? Wow. Um, okay. Without it, even thinking. I have that, never, let me just say, I've never been asked that in a traffic stop. I, I, I have never been asked that either. I have never even been asked if, there, if I had any warrants. And so he's like, no. And the mother's like, why are you asking him that? You assume that because he's a black man that he's on probation or parole? Well, she's like, he's never even been stopped for anything before. So the, the cop at this point backs off and she radios for backup. Of course. <laughs> I, have an, I have a woman here aggressively questioning me. Yes. <laughs> like, I need backup. He accuses the mother of being violent. And it's like, no, the woman is agitated. And why is this cop not doing everything she can to de-escalate the situation. And right. the thing that she could do right now that would completely de-escalate the situation is go back to her police car, run the tag number, check his license, write him his ticket, give him his ticket, and go on her way. There'd be no problem then. There's nothing else going on here. It's interesting that her perception of threat is valid. But she doesn't understand that the people she's talking to, that they have a perception of threat that's valid. Oh, absolutely. And the mother spells it out for her over and over again. She's like, you are standing there with your hand on your gun. And the officer kind of is kind of a smart ass. She kind of turned to the side to show her that, oh, no, my hand's not actually touching my gun. But it was. Yeah, because that's the problem is this is the like whether or not it's actually touching it. Yeah. It, never mind that it's sitting there on her belt, right there in the vicinity of the gun. I mean, basically, if she closed her hand, it would close around you know, the grip on her pistol. So, yeah, it, it, and so anyway, next thing you know, by the end of the video, there's like multiple cop cars here for this traffic stop. And this cop is being recorded on her body cam. She's explaining to them that, well, you know, um, the mother was being belligerent and, you know, she was acting very aggressive and everything. and. Um, uh-huh. I felt like we needed to get some backup over here and, you know, it's just a traffic stop and it's no big deal. And I don't know why they're acting like this. And I'm like, how ignorant <laughs> is be? So this is now going out on YouTube, which it is now. And now we have another data point for why you can't trust cops. Wasn't that another thing with Brianna Taylor? Weren't there like no body cams on? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I'm I think it's sure. no... I thought I heard that the other, like last night. Now I'm typing away. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> you know, that they announced themselves as police. 
And apparently there was some neighbor who claims they heard police. But, you know, it's like, okay, you hear somebody kicking your door in in the middle of the night and you're awakened by this from a dead sleep. Are you really going to hear somebody yell police? And are you going to be thinking about that? Because I can tell you there's a thing called auditory exclusion that happens when you have this massive adrenaline surge, when you think your life is in danger. And basically, you don't hear stuff. And, and it's amazing to me that cops know this happens because it happens to them in life-threatening situations. They absolutely know this happens. And they still don't grasp that it's also happening to the civilians when they're doing these no-knock warrants. The bottom line is all of this stuff, the cop doing the traffic stop and the officers that, you know, kicked the door into Brianna Taylor's home, they're all making police work so much more dangerous for everyone. Every police encounter is so much more dangerous for everyone. You, and you have this apprehension that's there. And how could you not? I, well, how could you not? And, and, you know, at the end of this 19-minute video, the guy got his ticket for running a stop sign and then they tried to lecture the, the mother and she was just not having it <laughs> no, that wouldn't be that tell you what and you know and the whole time he was saying just give him his ticket we'll deal with this in court she wasn't threatening anyone or anything like that she was saying just give him his ticket we'll deal with it in court so there was never a threat there was no violence she was standing on her property the whole time she wasn't even standing on the sidewalk I mean, that's the thing, because if, if she, I'm sure if she would have stepped off of that front side, then that officer would have probably perceived her as a, as a threat. Like, that would be my mode of thinking. Well, and like, it would be, it would be just that easy. And that's the thing. She did, the mother did more to defuse the situation than the cop did, because initially she was standing on a public sidewalk, mm-hmm. and she was confronting the cop about, hey, you're not going to turn my son into a hashtag, and the police officer was saying you need to you need to step back and she's like no this is my property and the police officer said this is a public sidewalk and so the mother took one step back into her driveway (laughs) now i'm on my property and the cop's like okay that's fine (laughs) all right So it looks like I found a Vice article from earlier in September. I knew there was no footage. I thought they said there were no cameras. And it sounds like maybe there were some photos of people wearing cameras, but maybe they weren't on. So it's like, I mean, I just not wearing a body camera today and not having it turned on. There's no excuse. They really need to start doing these cameras all the time. they, they, They also need to stop perceiving public as a potential threat. I mean, this this is such a paranoid thing. It's like they go through life thinking everyone is a potential threat to them. The reality is that's not true. I move through life without <laughs> having to have a pistol strapped to my hip, you know, being scared of people that I encounter along the way. I don't understand this perception that everyone is a threat. There's a court case I want to bring up. You can go ahead and finish your point, Jen. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was just going to say, I mean, my unsolicited advice to anyone who's thinking about becoming a police officer, really search your conscience. And if you are afraid of black people, don't become a cop because you're probably going to have to deal with some black people from time to time. And I say this not because white people don't act up and you won't ever have to deal with white people, but white people tend to walk out of that situation alive, no matter what they do. That's what I thought about Rittenhouse, right? I was just like, if you're a paranoid 17-year-old who's terrified of Black people, you probably should not be there. Yeah. If if you're that afraid, 
of being there, then you, you've already got like an inflated sense of like the danger that you're in. Let alone traveling to get there in the first place. Yeah, that whole thing is just weird. I mean, the- Kyle Rittenhouse, he has all of the like personality traits of someone that, going back to my military days, we would weed him out in basic training because someone who's overly fearful like that and also who has this image of himself in his mind that he's some kind of hero, that's yeah. not the person you want to go into any kind of conflict with. That's like that gun porn mentality, right? Yeah, this is the kind of guy who ends up committing war crimes. He was just like this cop wannabe kid. And it's so sad that this was his mindset and that he had so much fear and that we have a culture of that kind of fear in our law enforcement divisions that we really do need to address. There's a really good article, I may have mentioned it the last time we talked, from Harvard Law Review on warrior policing. And I'll probably go ahead and just include it again in the details section here for this talk because it's a good one to know. Um, It talks about how police are trained with this warrior mentality and this fear that everyone's out to kill them and always be thinking someone's going to kill you. It's really messed up. Not not very community and guardian focused. And that's sort of what the, the argument that Harvard Law Review is making is that we need to go to a guardian police model instead of this warrior, the whole public is out to kill me model. Yeah, but I wanted to just mention this one case real quickly and we can move on to another topic. So there was a case that was earlier this year where a guy actually did spend a few years in jail, but then he was exonerated. He was used the Florida standard ground law to finally be acquitted of prior charges that he had tried to kill a deputy. And in fact, he had gone out of his house and he did shoot at a deputy. I think he may have actually shot the deputy. It just says, citing standard ground law, the fifth district court of appeals, this is in Vera, Florida, dismissed the longstanding charges against a Port St. John man accused of shooting a Brevard County Sheriff's deputy during a botched arrest in front of his home in 2015. So the cops were actually trying to make an arrest. And in this case, they were trying to arrest his niece and she was in the front yard. She started fighting with the police and screaming. He didn't know what was going on, walked outside, sees these two men attacking his niece and he opens fire. The reason this case comes to mind is because these cops were being cops, right? They're making an arrest and this woman was being arrested. It's not like they were, you know, assaulting her in a, in a way that was, you know, not part of their duty. So they're they're there in the front yard, they're trying to arrest her, and he comes out, doesn't know what's going on, and shoots them. And the court now, after a few years, is looking at this and saying, this guy didn't do anything wrong. He didn't know what the situation was. The police were not in uniform, and he just thought two men are attacking his niece, and he starts shooting, which is what a reasonable person would do if you had a gun and you know and, and you had that mindset. But when I think about Brianna Taylor and someone busting into your house, they may be doing their jobs. Whatever reason they're going in there, they have this warrant, they go into the property. But that doesn't mean just because they're being cops that you can't say, I had a reasonable assumption that someone was breaking into my house. I had no idea what was going on. I just hear my door bust down and these people come in and I grab my gun. I just start shooting because who the hell's breaking into my house? It's the same mentality. It's like, yes, here's a case where a white man saw two cops trying to arrest his daughter, didn't recognize they were cops and opened fire. And Florida now is looking at this and saying, hey man, that's the brakes. 
when you just like surprise a person like that and they don't know who you are and you're not identified and they don't know what's going on, this is not an abnormal thing for a citizen to do. And that's what the law always boils down to is, is this reasonable? When you think about, for example, that police officer that busted into the gentleman's house that you were talking about where he was just in his apartment and she came in the wrong apartment. And I think she did get charged with something. But the point is, if I open my front door, I mean, I've lived in apartments before and I'm not, I don't know the layout of the apartment, but in every apartment I've ever lived in, you open the front door and you're right there in the living room. There's not like a big long hallway or some blind foyer I don't know what kind of apartment she's in, but if she's in a standard apartment, one, two bedroom apartment, usually you open the door and that's the front room right there. If I opened my door and there's somebody sitting on my couch watching TV, like this is what I'm thinking, and I have a gun, first of all, I don't think that I'd even enter the apartment. I would probably just immediately be, what is this? Um, And I would probably say that. But if I did have a gun and I was trained, I would think that simply pulling the gun on the person and saying, what the hell are you doing in my apartment would be the reasonable response. If I have a weapon and I'm afraid there's like a strange man that has violated my apartment and I walk in, I have lethal force. I can point it in his direction and then start questioning him. And what is he going to do? If he aggresses toward me or something, okay, maybe, whatever. But in the moment, I have the advantage if I have a gun. And she's trained with this weapon. I mean, all she had to do was put the gun on the guy and say, the hell are you doing in my apartment? And I'm pretty sure the response would be, what do you mean? Your apartment, this is my apartment. This could have been sorted out. There was no reason for someone to die. And that's the whole thing. It's like these, these messed up responses. You have these cops and it's just like, if somebody's shooting at them and in the midst of shooting back, they're just wildly shooting into other apartments and shooting through a wall and killing this woman who's just not even in the line of fire. What is that? That's not a reasonable response, right? Right. And it's just like, yeah, okay, if you want the cops to be able to defend themselves, if something goes wrong, I get it. I mean, yeah, you can't just stand there and get shot. But at the same time, you can't just start spraying bullets everywhere. And if you do that and you kill someone, that is not, at a certain point, I'm willing to say, like, if somebody attacks a cop and the cop is fighting back and someone gets injured, yes, there might be times when I would say, It's because this perpetrator attacked the cop and they got into this fight and someone else got hurt and the cop had to do what they had to do to defend themselves. But there's still a line where you have to say that what the cop did in response has become unreasonable. Like, yes, if the cop has a reasonable response and someone bystander gets hurt, that may happen. But you can't just say that absolutely any response from a cop is valid because somebody attacked a cop. It's like there are things that are overkill and we have to recognize that and spraying bullets everywhere and shooting somebody is inappropriate, even in a situation where you're doing your job and someone attacks you. That's not the, that's not a response that should be covered by the cop had to defend himself. And then, you know, in the aftermath of this, we find out that one of the cops who was firing into the apartment on that day had actually transferred from, I guess, the Lexington, Kentucky Police Department. He was basically going to be fired over there, or he was fired. I can't remember which. He got written up because he refused to be supervised. And so what did he do? He leaves Lexington and he gets hired by Louisville. And there's this revolving door among police departments where problem officers just 
resign and they move on to another jurisdiction with no black mark on their record. It's it's almost like what was going on in the Catholic Church where you know abusive priests were just shuffled from parish to parish and no one in the new place knew about their previous history. Or if they did, they covered it up. And that that, that type of thing, like, you know, regardless of you know, where people fall on the situation, it's like a common sense thing to say that if you're employed by a police department and there's there's misconduct or you know you got charged, you know, over excessive force or whatever that might be, and so you resign and you shift over to another department that as a part of the job search or you know, whether it's a national database or whatever else, if you work in law enforcement and that type of thing occurs, there should be a database where another department can actually go in and say, Okay, well, where have you worked? Were there any disciplinary records that were done. Something like that, something that would actually inform them to say, oh, we actually don't want you to actually work here because this pattern of history that you have here is not something we're looking for in this department. How hard is that? Like, how big of an ask is for something like that? Because even that type of thing has been advocated for. To say like, hey, there's a national database and if this type of thing's happened before someone is hired by a police department and empowered by the citizens to carry lethal force and respond to disturbances in that jurisdictional area, before you can do the hiring as part of your background check, you must check the database to see if they have been disciplined in other districts. That fairly simplistic yeah, it seems like a would simple, it get rid of a lot. It's a simple, reasonable thing. It's like if you screw up and you get fired in one department, that goes on your record. And then other departments need to know that and they need to understand that this is not acceptable. Not only that, but, you know, the city itself admitted there was a problem there and they, they already paid the family you know, a $12 million settlement for this, which, you know, it's like, okay, how, if I were a taxpayer in Louisville, Kentucky right now, I would be so pissed off. I would be screaming for the police chief, everybody else to at least give us some accountability of this because this is outrageous that a group of police officers broke a door down, killed a citizen who was sleeping in her bed, and they walk away not only with no charges, but now all the taxpayers have to pay out this settlement. I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe they're considering that aspect of it like a civil violation because I do know that there's like massive protections on cops for criminal criminal violations. The individual cops have qualified immunity, so they basically can't be sued for, you know, what they do in the line of duty, even if they do a massive fuck up like this. And that's the thing. It's like, I think that the city should be liable as long as, as long as they can show that they train somebody properly. And as long as they have regulations against what happened, if the person violates what the city says they're supposed to do, and there's not a pattern of the city allowing those types of violations. So if if a person, if a cop goes rogue, I don't see why Mm -hmm. the city shouldn't say, we are responsible for having this person on the forest and we will take some responsibility, but they actually just went rogue. And so they have to bear some responsibility of this too. If the person is not doing what they're supposed to do and the city actually can show that they have taken steps to ensure that officers do the right thing in these situations, this person deviated. I don't think the city should be held harmless because this was a city employee. But I, but I also don't see the point to protecting somebody that just kind of goes off and does what they're going to do just because they're a city employee. And the irony of it is, it's like, okay, you know, 
Social workers make a fraction of what police officers make. And yet, if you have a social worker who is counseling people, somebody out there who's a social worker can correct me if I'm wrong, but they have to have some kind of liability insurance. And it might be that, you know, if they work for a private company, that company provides it. Or if it's a government agency, the government agency might provide it. As far as I know, they could be individually sued if they commit some act of misconduct in the course of their duties. And well, so, like medical personnel yeah, uh, definitely have that force because things can go wrong, but as long as it's not outside of you know, the normal course of what a reasonable surgeon would do during a procedure, then they wouldn't necessarily be at fault. But if they you know, fuck up to a point to where they could be negligible, they can be sued. There's insurance that's sitting there right there for that, but they can also be criminally prosecuted depending on what the action was. All these law and order people now that, you know, they want people to compete or, you know, insurance companies to compete on the open market to provide health insurance, but your premiums are based on your claims history. Well, why don't we have insurance for police departments and their Mm -hmm. premiums are based on their claims history? So if you have a bunch (laughs) of rogue officers, it's going to cost you a lot more to maintain your insurance. So there's an incentive there to manage things better. To actually train to de-escalate so you don't have a greater occurrence of potential situations. Isn't it interesting that there's like the protest slogan, no justice, no peace. And the response to that is law and order, right? Yeah. Not not law and justice. Law and order. It's it's like when I see that, I mean, some people meet it in different ways, but when I see it, it more so means to me that I am free from the discomfort. That's totally what it means. Seeing, mm-hmm. Of seeing yeah. these things happen. I don't want to see your protest. You're, you're fine to protest. I don't want to see it. I don't want to be inconvenienced by it. Don't you block my highway. And there's states or whatnot that are trying to pass laws about that, trying to make, make that it a felony, felony offense, yeah. stuff Florida. like that. And it's just like, wow. So this, rather than actually addressing the original catalyst of the problem, which is the training of police, actually examining what they're responding to. Like there was, there was a story recently about woman, uh, a mom that called the police because her son that had that had I can't remember the condition right now, but long story short, she called the police because he was becoming unmanageable and told this information to the officers to, to make sure that they knew what they were dealing with. And as the child was running away, they shot him. Like, I guess he was unruly and belligerent. And But the thing is, all of that was prefaced by his mother's description of her child of this is what's going on. And so they, she just wanted somebody to, you know, come in, you know, kind of restrain him because she couldn't, she, it was unmanageable for herself. But rather than sending out someone who may have a larger aptitude for dealing with individuals that may have mental difficulties or mental differences, they sent out you know, regular police, you know, regular uniformed officers who apparently were not equipped to handle this type of, right. and that, that's the thing. That That's what, you know, the defund of the police, you know, that movement, all of that is focused on re-examining what we're actually using our police for and what we expect them to actually respond to in the first place and making sure that if they're responding to those kind of situations that they're actually qualified to do so or have some training some actual training, not just a pamphlet or a slideshow about it, but some actual training to say, 
this is how you deal with this time. You know, to make sure, because, you know, this person was a threat, didn't have a weapon, he was a child, his mom was there, the whole nine yards, but th- it was not within their wherewithal to handle right. this and, type and of situation. And it can't be, right? Nobody nobody can handle all the stuff that's going to get called. And and when you pick up a phone and you dial 911 and you get fire, EMS, or police, those options are not sufficient. And I would think that the police would want to not have to deal with a thing that they're not equipped to deal with, that they would want to have other departments that can handle those types of situations, right? So that we're not throwing them into situations that really are not really in the realm of criminality, but they're not a fire and it's not a heart attack. They're being called out to these situations that really they should not be asked to be called out to, but we don't have options. And so people pick the option. It's like you said, you, t- you tell the cop, this isn't really a, you know, it's not a life-threatening situation, but you have these police that are paranoid and they're expecting a life-threatening situation and they get into this thing. And like you say, it's like that guy that was um, naked in the street, right? That video mm-hmm. and and that yeah. whole thing where they did the same thing. My brother's having some kind of, we don't know what's going on. You know, he never seen him like this. He might be on drugs. I don't know. There's a, definitely a mental issue happening, but he's, you know, he's just ran off naked into the street. We need somebody, we need some help. We need mm-hmm. some help to sort of, you know, get a handle on this. And the cops come out and the guy is very compliant. He's out there naked in snow and they don't, <laughs> no blanket on the guy. It's like, nobody's trying to wow. get him comfortable. And then I handcuffed him. So he's handcuffed. He's on the ground. He starts to get up. And that's when uh, I think they had said something about he's spitting. Now, I didn't see the full video, but the video I saw where he was spitting, he wasn't like spitting at the cops. It was just, I don't know if you ever seen like runners when they just kind of turn and yeah. spit. Yeah. He was mm-hmm. spitting. So something was going on with him. And he did start to spit, but he wasn't like, it wasn't an aggressive thing where he was trying to spit on the officers, at least not the part I saw. And so the cops come up to him and they put a bag over his head, which I guess is like a thing for when people start to spit. Well, when they start to put the bag on his head, that's when he starts to freak out. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that the bag is escalating this guy and freaking him out. So uh, to me, the thing is, okay, we don't like the spitting, but he's not spitting at us. The bag is freaking him out. He's been compliant for the last 20 minutes in freezing weather, naked on the street, laying on the street. So maybe we should just take the bag off his head. That's not working so well. So let's let's undo that. But instead, they just start trying to then control him while he's getting agitated with the bag on his head. And then they end up killing him. This guy was compliant for like 20 minutes in naked in freezing weather, lying down on the street. Mm-hmm. And he didn't freak out. Obviously, there's something wrong. And his brother already told you something's not right. You put a bag on his head, he starts to freak out. And you don't even think Let's take the bag off his head and see if that calms mm-hmm. him down. Like your response is, let's just attack him and try to try to like subdue him when you already know that he he has been subdued for the last twenty minutes without anybody trying to restrain him. So what the hell? What is this? This this force response, right? Like this sort of tough guy response to everything. It's really not always the best thing. Like Jen was saying, sometimes you just have to think: what is a reasonable way to to deescalate this situation? How can I calm him down without attacking him, which is probably going to make it worse? And the thing is, it's like like you said, you know, he was spitting, but it was not aggressively spitting at the cops. He was. Right. He wasn't, they weren't even near him. They were like in a little huddle and he was sitting on the street by himself, just handcuffed and naked, just sitting there. And so, you know, it's like, okay, you observe something like that. So rather than interpreting that as a a threatening thing, which it clearly was not, why don't you just offer him some water? Maybe he needs a drink of water. And why does it take 20 minutes to figure out what to do with this guy? 
You know, it's like, what is going on there? Why is he outside? And, and why isn't, why isn't somebody giving him a blanket? Why isn't somebody yeah. saying, okay, dude, you're having, something's going on. You're having a hard time. Clearly you're distressed. You know, you're, you're like, you're a little bit whacked out, but we don't want you to freeze to death. Is it okay if we give you a blanket? Yeah. Right. Just ask him, would you, would you like a blanket? Cause it's kind of chilly out, you know? Like, is it too much to ask for, to have a resource officer there that might be like, you know, you have backup, you know, in case things get violent or something like that, but to have somebody there that's actually knowledgeable about something. I mean, you're not going to be an expert in every situation or condition because you don't know uh, what that might turn into, but to take a little bit of time to say, you know what, it's worth our resources to have somebody that we can call that if we get a call like this, we can come out with an, a response that may be more proportionate to what the situation is demanding and can have much more empathy and be able to, you know, approach the individual and develop a rapport. Like there's, there's this training that can go in place. And, you know, what we're looking at, you know, just having police response to situations like this, it's like, this is not what they're cut out for. And if this happens, then we're like, well, I mean, he, he should have just complied. And it's just like, well, that's not what the situation was. That's not what it called for. Like what they did is disproportionate, but just to fill in some color about what I was uh, talking about a little bit before, I'm, this is off of CNN on September 8th, it was a 13-year-old boy was seriously injured after being shot by a police officer in Salt Lake City. Uh, and Golda Barton, uh, Golda Barton said that her son, Lin- Lyndon Cameron, uh, who has Asperger's syndrome, experienced a mental breakdown early in the day. It was the first day that she was back at work in nearly a year, and he was having trouble coping, is how uh, she described it. And she said, Uh, Look, he's unarmed. He doesn't have anything. He just gets mad and starts yelling and screaming. He's a kid. He's trying to get attention. He doesn't know how to regulate. When you get that call for that type of issue into the police department, you know, would it be worth it to have somebody there that could say, you know what, you know what, I'm experiencing that. Let let me ride out with you. You let, let Let me go out with you and see what we can do. And so, when they when they arrived, he apparently was still acting uh, belligerent, and he got scared. She, the mother, said her son Barton ran away, and they the police were yelling at him to get on the ground. Followed by several uh, several gunshots at that point, and she uh, her questions was why didn't they tase him? Why didn't they shoot him with a rubber bullet? He's a small child. Why don't you just tackle him? You're a big you're big police officers with massive amount of resources. Yeah, he's on And it's just it's like the, these yeah. common sense questions of what's going on when she called it in and labeled it exactly what it was, a psychological episode, which is also the way that it's described in the article. That's what it is. And you're not equipped to handle that situation from what the description of these events were. You're not equipped. And so what are you planning to do about that? How are you planning to equip that? Why is it that external people have to march and protest and show up at the police office in order to demand change versus you looking at your own self and say, you know what, we really fucked up. We we weren't ready for that situation. And now this boy is in the hospital with serious injuries after getting shot by officers while he was running away. What in the world were we doing? This doesn't happen in every country in the world, right? I mean, this is not like an unsolvable problem. Just to say, the guy that I was (laughs) talking about, I want to just, his name is Daniel Prude. I couldn't remember it at the time I was talking, but I did want to get his name in there. But there are, like I say, other countries where they have this 
better sorted where the cops don't act like this and where you don't have this type of response and where they have more tools in the in the kit that help make things better. And I think a big part of what would help make things better is fixing all kinds of social safety nets to give people resources, to give people a better life and a better opportunity. We have to fix the financial situation. We have to fix the healthcare situation. We have to fix our education system as access to education. And we sort of are breeding violence and breeding crime right now as a society. And then our response to it is like severe force. It's just the hammer. All we have in the toolbox is a hammer and it, right. and it doesn't work for a whole lot of problems. We're, we're doubling down on the thing that caused the problem in the first place, expecting that, you know, okay, this didn't work, but if we double it, then maybe it'll work this time. If, if we get a, a bigger hammer with a riot shield, then maybe right. that'll do yes. it. And, and unfortunately, the hammer that is the solution to every problem for police is the fact they have a gun strapped to their head. And when you have a gun, Something changes in your personality. Not everybody, but enough that someone who walks around carrying a gun on their hip all the time, something goes on in their head, that their first instinct seems to be pull the gun, use the gun. I think there are some people who are extraordinarily well-trained that they don't have that response because they have other ways of dealing with situations. But especially for some of these cops who are not well-trained, civilians, obviously, who are not well-trained, who have this cowboy mentality, who are very fearful. They go into a situation feeling that everything's a threat. And so, you know, rather than take a minute to assess the situation come up with, hey, how can I de-escalate this? How can we all go home tonight without anybody getting shot? Their first thing is, let me pull my gun. I'll make you do what I want you to do. I'd like to put a disclaimer on this. This is a conversation, and there's a whole lot of public dialogue that's happening that sounds a lot like the conversation we're having here, where people are voicing their opinions. We had this long conversation about Brianna Taylor, where I started out with, I don't know, I'm not a legal expert. I know what I'm hearing, and I know how it processes in my brain, and I can express that, but I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not a legislator, and I definitely don't know what the city's rules and regulations are, and in some ways, I don't even know that I'm sure about some of these facts about the case, right? Like, I'm I'm spitballing a conversation and giving these immediate reactions, and everybody's doing that right now. Like we're all doing that right now. And there's, there's all this big cacophony of social voices that are happening. And in some ways, it's really kind of a beautiful, amazing thing. And in other ways, it's a little bit scary because there's a lot of people like me walking around that are just ignorant about some very in-depth situations like the law that I'm still expressing an opinion. But I want to make it really clear that for all of these situations like police reform, and healthcare and constitutional situations that could arise with these elections. There are actually experts. There are actually people who understand these situations and probably have super good ideas that are super well-informed, people that have spent a lifetime studying these issues. There's a ton of data, I guarantee you, real data, and people that could really craft this. Just like with Fauci saying, here's the deal. And some politician gets up, um, Rand Paul, right? He had like this run in with Rand Paul and Rand Paul's trying to tell Fauci about pandemics and Fauci just put him in his place because Rand Paul is kind of like me in this situation, right? Like I can sit there and say what I think 
but I'm not going to tell Fauci about pandemics. I mean, if I'm talking to another citizen and I'm just saying, look, I don't know, like, here's what I heard. Here's what I think about it, but I don't know. And what I don't want is for the conversations that we're having here to be like a lot of what I hear in social media, where some people kind of think that their opinion on a thing is somehow super valid and super weighty and that they have some claim to here's what I think. And I can come off like that. Like I know that I sound sometimes like pretty forceful with my opinions, but I know there's things I don't know. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not doing this podcast as some sort of an expert opinion on all of these issues. My opinion and, you know, Joe on the streets opinion are probably equally valid on this, right? Like, I don't know. It just depends on where I've been, where he's been. What have we been looking at, right? I can talk about things that I've delved into somewhat, but some things I haven't. And I just want folks to know that sometimes when you have these arguments, I I got into a little bit of a back and forth earlier today with somebody about Mitch McConnell's tweet talking about that he expects there to be a peaceful transition of power. And just for the record, the unanimous Senate today voted on a resolution to say that, yes, there needs to be a peaceful transition of power. And that you know, take it with a grain of salt. I'm not saying that these people in Congress are always going to keep their word. I'm not saying that it actually translates into something. But I saw this thing and I said, I can't imagine why they would do that unless they were afraid of a constituency. Somebody else came forward. They had another idea. There started to be a back and forth. And literally about the third time I was posting back, I just stopped and I said, look, I'm not a mind reader. I don't know what the hell's in Mitch McConnell's mind. And I'm not wasting any more time on this because I don't know, right? I don't know. You don't know. We can't open his brain and see the answer. This is what I think about it. This is what you think about it. And we don't know. So there's no point in me spending another minute trying to argue what Mitch McConnell's thinking because I don't know. Anything I'm saying here, and I think anything we're saying in this podcast, short of expressing our own experiences and short of whatever we can cite like names and, hey, go check out this video or go check out this resource at Harvard Law or check out the 1619 Project or whatever. Anything that we're saying is should be taken as, here's an idea, here's a thought, here's something we heard about. And if it interests you and you want to know more about it and you want to know more than I know about it, then just go look it up. Go do some research. Go make sure you're using good sources Don't be going to some news site that you've never heard of in your life or some journal that is got like no cred. Try to make sure you're using good sources. Look at the information and learn about it yourself. Consider this little talking point bullets to kind of go out into the atmosphere or the, you know, airwaves or whatever that give you some thoughts to say, this sounds interesting. I'm going to go look it up. Just go look at the things that interest you and, and find out and make yourself more informed than I am. Go and do that. And I just hope that that's what people will see because I'm so, I, I get so disappointed. I think sometimes people get a platform and suddenly think that they think that means that they're somehow an authority or an expert on like anything they want to open their mouths about. And I don't want people to be under the impression that I have that idea of myself because I don't. I'm willing to own that these are just conversations. And that is met with total silence. No, I, I just happen to agree with you. It was the silence of, of agreement. I didn't want to in- interrupt the flow. No. I've seen this over and over again, and I've tried very hard to avoid it in myself as well. 
idea that, you know, when you have a platform that you're automatically right. I've seen it a lot. I consider it a very negative thing. I work hard to not accept the mantle of authority on things that I'm not an authority on. It's a little bit unnerving to me sometimes when somebody will treat a podcaster like an actual expert in a field. Oh, yeah, right. Or treat a snippet that they'll use in a podcast without actually going and researching and then go out and and do damage. And I hope, you know, it's like, I don't mean to do damage here. And that's why I'm kind of feel a little bit obligated with this giant asterisk next to everything I'm saying that these are my opinions. And some of these opinions, I may know I'm not informed. And I'll say that. And I'll just say, look, this is what little I think I know about it. And this is what it seems like, but I don't know. But there's other things where I might think I do know something and I don't. I might be going off and popping off on something. I don't know until somebody calls me out and says, hey, I don't think you're aware of this. I really don't know about it. So if, so if you hear something that's interesting to you, if you hear about the 1619 Project and it interests you, don't just say, I know about it because I heard about it on Tracy's podcast. So I now know about the 1619 Project. If you really want to talk about it and have conversations about it, you know, go look it up. There it is. You know, and, and I'm just hoping that we're giving people some it's almost like a when you look at Wikipedia and you see this sort of general art, you know, article and you're just sort of like, that's just sort of a general summary of something. But at the bottom of it, it has all the citations. Right. If you really want to know about it, then go look at those citations. Don't just you know, sit there and look at the wiki article and then get to the bottom of it and say, I'm now an expert on this. And I hope that's what this provides to people is just food for thought. Go, go look it up. Anything you hear in it that interests you, go find out more. And with that... <laughs> Y'all have been super cool helping me out with this. I know that people really, really love the last time we were having a conversation on some of these issues. So I appreciate coming back to have some more conversations on these issues. And I also appreciate at least the willingness, not not promising anything, but the willingness to do this again after the elections, regardless of what happens. And I am really like, I have no idea what's going to (laughs) happen. There's a, there's a sense of, let's get this over with, combined with a sense of almost dread. What implications could be, and so much more. Like the, People make it worse in their mind as far as what the eventual outcome may be, you know, whatever way it swings, that you, you formed worst case scenarios, something like that, but it's, it's definitely uncertain. Well, there's a saying, right? Prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah, and and right now, I mean, it's like, I think that, you know, a lot of pretty dire scenarios have been floated out there. And based on some of the things Trump's been saying lately, I don't know that I'd call those dire scenarios overblown. I think he's going to contest the election. And that's why I think we have to show up to vote in such overwhelming numbers that there's really nothing to contest. So we we either buy ourselves four years of time we don't and we just see what happens yeah, so definitely check your voter registration status you can jump on the google and say am i registered to vote that'll take you to usa.govs which will lead you to the i believe to the secretary of states or to the national association of secretaries of state where you can just choose your state and it should get you hopefully to your secretary of state of your particular one and you put in your information to see if your registration is actually current if it's on the right address i've recently had to change mine and so that's always fun 
<laughs> yeah, and, and like I said, there, there there will be um, there will, will be some resources that are going to be run throughout this podcast, throughout this hour, and, and next there will be like three resources a piece that will probably run before the election. You know, obviously people people will have options there on how they want to deal with it, whether they want information on their ballot or whether they want to check their registrations or get their plan together. There will be at least three resources highlighted during this hour. Awesome. If you live in Texas, early voting starts October 13th, so it's coming up soon. If you can, please make an effort to vote early, because they are going to try to throw out absentee ballots, so you could do everything right and still have your vote not count. Oh, and the down-ballot votes. Oh, yes, the down-ballot votes are critical. Um because we really need to deliver the Senate. And some of those races are going to be super local, and the resources that are running during this podcast are supposed to help people with that. So there are also um, other groups that you can go to. To Some of the things I do is just sort of look up the, usually local newspapers will run information on candidates. Another good way to investigate a candidate, if you get your ballot, get a sample ballot, um, which you can, you can get that before you go in to vote. You can go online and get a sample ballot. And if you get a sample ballot, sometimes what you can do is go to the websites and like social media pages for this particular candidates. Don't just read their vote for me page. Go to their Facebook page and see who's supporting them. See Mm -hmm. the comments in their threads and what they're going after. And if you're seeing a bunch of stuff like, you know, Jesus is Lord and I can't wait to put God back in schools, vote accordingly. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying you could tell a lot by who's supporting a candidate when you go to the page and you see their constituents and the people that they appeal to and the people they don't appeal to. You can see the people criticizing them and say, wow, that's some unfair crap right there. Or that's the kind of person you should be getting criticism from because that's a bigot. Or that you might see it and say, hey, these criticisms sound like things that appeal to me. Like I would be angry about that too. So you can kind of get a feel for whether or not you support somebody that's running for the school district or somebody that's running for um, some local justice office, like a judge or somebody that's running for even just like a, you know, this person wants to run the Texas Railroad Commission. You'd be surprised how much power some of these positions can have. So don't let them slide. Down ballot is important. They have a lot of effect (laughs) on your day-to-day life. That road that has those potholes you can't stand driving over. You know, there's a position for that out there. (laughs) All right. But I have to decide where to put those dollars. That's our, that's our preach session. That's our, (laughs) that's our lecture for tonight is go vote. If you can get out there and do it. And I just want to thank you guys again. Thank you, Phil Session. Thank you, Jen Peebles. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it was awesome. All right. Good night, guys. Good night. That's it for this episode of At Home in My Head, exploring life in the cottage at Woodland Corners. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay safe, be well, and never stop exploring.